God bless you all. Folks, we're studying Proverbs. Uh, and it's wise to do that because it is the repository of wisdom, uh, so says the author. Wisdom, skillfulness in living life. We live it. We can't avoid it. Might as well do better at it. And so Proverbs is designed to help us. Uh, skills in living life. Tonight we'll look at an interesting topic in Proverbs, but before we get there, let me ask you, couple questions you don't have to answer out loud, uh, but I'll, I'll throw them out to you. Have you ever been scoffed at for being a Christian? Have you ever had your faith demeaned, ridiculed, challenged? Have you ever been mocked for uh, carrying a Bible, reading the Bible in public? Have you ever been treated with disdain for praying, maybe, before your meal in a public uh, context? Have you ever been scoffed at for having the gall to apply a biblical standard to life, maybe one of the moral issues of the day? Have you ever been scoffed at for inserting a biblical perspective into the mix? If you are a Christian and those things have not yet happened to you, um, I don't want to ruin things for you, but I think you and I would be wise to be prepared for it because you probably will uh, sooner or later be the object of derision and mockery. Your faith will probably be scoffed at and scorned. Uh, perhaps you're aware of a growing anti-Christian intolerance worldwide, and uh, including in our country. You see it from sources like Hollywood and uh, from the news media and in many schools and even universities in our country. Increasingly, Christians, it's a fascinating day in which we live, are being targeted, ridiculed, labeled, blamed, and discriminated Against. We are fast becoming one of the only special groups in society not protected by a legislation against discrimination and the like. You can't even, based on your convictions, refuse to bake a cake uh, for a same-gender couple wishing to be married. You can't even do that. <laughs> without being brought into a court of law, penalized, threatened with a prison sentence, and surely losing your livelihood. In fact, the term, have you heard of this? Christophobia. You know what a phobia is. It's an irrational fear of something. Here's a new term. I've never heard it before, but maybe you'll hear more about it. Christophobia is an irrational hatred and fear of Christianity. I think soon it'll make Webster's Dictionary. It's coming to be in common parlance. Christophobia, an irrational fear and contempt for Christianity. And so, for instance, I give a few illustrations. Do you know of a beautiful gal with a marvelous voice? Her name is Shakira. Shakira, perhaps you know her. Just the sweetest, most... Uh, endearing personality, a very gifted songwriter, very, very talented. Um, she accused God of being 
these are her words, a malign, hypocritical, selfish thug. So those are serious, scornful words. Gore Vidal says, Christianity is such a silly religion. Uh, Robert Ingersoll was a lawyer and a Civil War veteran, political leader, well-known orator. He was nicknamed in his day the great agnostic. He made this statement, the inspiration of the Bible depends upon the ignorance of the gentleman who reads it. So how are you feeling about yourself, Bible people? Thomas Paine once said it would be more consistent that we call the Bible the work of a demon than the word of God. It is a history of wickedness that has served to corrupt and uh, brutalize mankind. It's a mockery, scornful attitude towards the very word of God. Ted Turner, a little more uh, in our contemporary day, being uh, more succinct, uh, simply said, Christians are losers. Uh, well, you don't have to guess at what he thinks anyway. Voltaire made the statement, uh, if we could destroy the Christian religion, we must, first of all, destroy man's belief in the Bible. Um, perhaps a little more popular in our day, uh, uh, do you know of singer Miley Cyrus? Again, a multi-talented, beautiful young lady with a church background, and sadly she's departed from it and gone off in directions even uh, her father is filled with dismay about. Your hearts have to go out to that young gal and her, her family. Anyway, she recently slammed Christian conservatives for believing in what she calls fairy tales, like the story of Noah's Ark. And she argued that those who hold to uh, a traditional definition of marriage should not be permitted to make laws within these United States, she said. A bumper sticker uh, becoming more popular, seen in various places around the country, reads, so many Christians, so few lions. I think, what if you substituted another religious group there? My heavens, uh, every media outlet and liberal advocate for civil rights would be all over it, and yet this is becoming quite popular. Scoffers, this is my point, scoffing away. A scoffer, by the way, is uh, not merely a person with a different point of view. A scoffer is somebody who ridicules, mocks, uh, scorns, and demeans the point of view of others. A Proverbs, you may be surprised soon to see, has much to say about this kind of person, a scoffer. It might be translated in your Bible as mocker or scoffer. The terms are synonymous, a, a, a scoffer, a mocker, or a, a, a scorner. So I'd like for us to do kind of a quick survey of just some of the verses in Proverbs. Proverbs is tricky because it deals with topics. So what I'm trying to do is extract from it topics that I think might be relevant uh, to you. And in order to do this, you have to go hither and yon in Proverbs. It's like going into a grocery store, I'm noticing, as I'm studying Proverbs. And you really have to walk the aisles and pick off something from this shelf and here's something like it on this shelf. And it's all over this marvelous 
store, and you're kind of on a treasure hunt. And that's how it is in Proverbs. Things are not given, um, I hope I mean no disrespect by this, in an orderly manner. They're sort of loosely framed. And so uh, the topic I want for us to look at tonight is this topic of, uh, of, of scoffers. And so, for instance, here's the first verse. It's in Proverbs, right in chapter 1, verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded and scoffers? You see, there's a reference to this people group. Scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. How long is the question wisdom puts to three types of obstinate people? How long naive ones? Those are those are folks who really don't mean harm, but they're, well, they're simple, and they're unsophisticated in life, and thus easily persuaded and vulnerable, naive ones. And then you have another group, fools, not foolish in an intellectual sense. It's a reference to their deficient sense of morality. And then you have scoffers, and you'll see that the distinguishing Distinctive of scoffers is uh, this one word, arrogance. Arrogance is what distinguishes scoffers from the rest. Wisdom is crying out, in other words, to people at all levels of response to God, asking the question, how long will you keep on doing your thing and leave God out? How long before you realize this attitude is destroying you? How long before you see that your quest for independence from God is hurting you and those around you. I can hear wisdom crying out today. How long, Americans, will you extract God from the formula of life and think that attitude can produce anything but the disarray, instability, confusion, anger, and frustration which seems to characterize our day. You would think, Lady Wisdom cries out, that we have ample evidence to dissuade us from a life of independence from God. How long? Now, the question is, how should you and I as Christians respond to people such as this? Scoffers. Should we scoff back at the scoffer? Should we mock the mocker? Should we... Should we uh, uh, scorn the scorner. No, I don't think we should. Here's what I think we should do. We should pray for those folks and seek with a sincere heart's desire after their salvation. And I'll tell you why. That's what made us no longer to be scoffers and mockers of truth. Salvation saved us not just from the penalty of sin, but from a really corrupt mind. When one accepts Christ, uh, his mind, his way of thinking, comes to be implanted in ours, and we begin little by little to act in light of it. I'll never forget reading for the first time in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We were ones who used to walk in the darkness. We were scoffers and mockers and 
scorners. And what a difference the Savior has made. So our unique Christian response must be not to respond in kind to those who mock and scoff and demean us. It must be to pray for them and to do everything we could to make the Lord Jesus high and lifted up in our own lives so that he becomes an issue, an unavoidable issue in their own life. So we should not, in my opinion, scoff at the scoffer, and I'll tell you why. The unrepentant scoffer will be handled by the God he or she has scoffed, and we don't have to help God out in the process. So uh, look with me to Proverbs chapter 3 now, verse 34 in our survey. That's the next verse, Proverbs on the subject, Proverbs 3, verse 34. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. It's the Lord who has the right and the authority and the prerogative to scoff at the scoffer. We do not. We must hold open a hand of mercy, the likes of which we have received ourselves. So we have to be really, really careful not to nullify the magnificently attractive gospel message through anger, disdain, and a demeaning attitude of our own. It's conduct unbecoming, unbecoming Christians, but we could leave the scoffer to the hands of Almighty God, who stands ready to give grace to those who hurt and who are afflicted, but who will meet the scoffer with scoffing uh, of his own. Now, you can recognize a scoffer in your midst by the way he responds to one thing, a word of correction. Take a look, for instance, at Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. That's where we'll travel next. Proverbs 9, 7 and 8. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. A scoffer is one who has contempt for anyone who would dare correct him. Scoffers show no respect for opponents or for opposing points of view. I do not want to focus on what's going on in the presidential election, but I must tell you it's helped me uh, to understand a texts like these as I watch the whole process. Now, uh, we would be uh, uh, overstepping our bounds to in any way uh, tell uh, uh, believers who to vote for specifically. That's not our role. And I don't think who you vote for is a litmus test of your, your Christianity. You know what I mean? It's, that's the wonderful beauty of this country. So I'll not do that. I'm just saying I'm, I've seen perhaps you have as well in the debates, um, uh, conduct unbecoming statesmen, um, uh, demeaning of opponents. Now, a, f a fair and legitimate disagreement, cordial disagreement about the issues is one thing, but name-calling, uh, uh, attacking, uh, demeaning, labeling, uh, this seems to me to be the mark 
uh, of the one in Proverbs labeled uh, a scoffer. So scoffers uh, have a tone of contempt and disdain for those whose opinions differ. And uh, it's quite interesting that it doesn't matter who the opposing point of view is coming from, even if it comes from a lowly journalist, not even someone who's uh, competing for the position you so desire. It's amazing to me how some have no capacity to let it go. Uh, 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 they can't distinguish e e the position of the critic. Anyone who dares be a critic, if you're a scoffer, brings out uh, on your part uh, contempt for the gall of the person to challenge your, your perspective. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, scoffers, uh, under the veneer of confidence and strength, are usually very insecure people. Uh, so insecure are they that though they act as if their opponents do not matter to them, seriously, they can't stop focusing on their opponents. So they make fun of their uh, physical stature and appearance, and, uh, their ethnicity, their gender, all the rest. A critic for a scoffer becomes uh, a, such a, a focal point in their thinking, they can't let that person go. So under the guise of being strong and self-confident, they're very malleable and actually in the hands of the critic. All you have to do is say something critical about this kind of person and you will hook that person into uh, the ring, into the arena, and that person will show no restraint in responding to you in the most demeaning kind of way. Now, you vote for who you want to, but I just don't think that's a statesmanlike quality for someone who would pretend to occupy the highest office in the land. I'm mentioning no names. You do, you come to your own conclusion. Now, what may be the outcome of this kind of lifestyle? Well, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 12. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. Folks, the scoffer may be or may become an intensely lonely individual. Don't scoff at the scoffer. Don't let a hardened scoffer harden you or I. Be gentle. See beneath the veneer of uh, macho self-confidence. See a fearful, insecure, and lonely individual whose heart needs to be touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. Scoffers are intensely lonely. You see, they have protected themselves They've responded to their fear of failure and being wrong by arrogantly elevating themselves above all other members of society. And folks, they have found loneliness at the top. Very lonely. They don't know how to consult. They don't know how to work harmoniously. They don't know how to seek counsel they don't know how to get along with those who see things differently. And in so doing, they isolate themselves from the rest of humanity. See, if you can, with the eyes of grace, 
past the veneer of strength, uh, uh, see under it a scared child, afraid to be found out, to be human, flawed, imperfect, and insecure. That's what you have. The stronger the imposition of one's authority, imposition, not exercise, imposition of one's authority, the more bluster there is, oftentimes in direct proportion to it, is an attempt to hide insecurity and intense fears. See, a real strong man does not get hooked into a a vicious response to everyone who criticizes him or or her. So, does the scoffer have uh, an intellectual problem? Is that the scoffer limited in his intellectual ability. No, not necessarily. Look now at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 6. I apologize for this. Uh, we're traveling through it, but that's how you have to sort of treat Proverbs. I've just looked at all the verses I could find, selected out some of the key ones on this subject of scoffing, and they're like all over Proverbs. So here's the next one. Proverbs 14, verse 6. A scoffer seeks wisdom. You may find that surprising that a scoffer seeks wisdom. Oh, no, no. A scoffer is looking how to live life more skillfully. A scoffer seeks wisdom ah, and finds none. But knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. A scoffer is seeking wisdom. So his, his fundamental problem does not have to do with his IQ. It has to do with his attitude. You see, he is seeking to find wisdom, knowledge, understanding, but he cannot find it because he's looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. You see, right here in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, uh, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the scoffer respects his own values, thoughts, and conclusions. This is terrible. Even more than those of God. So the scoffer is on a quest for success in life, how to live it more wisely, but is looking for wisdom between his own ears. (laughs) Instead of seeing that the beginning of wisdom is to bow before Almighty God and show ultimate respect uh, to him. So again, the scoffer's basic problem is displayed in his response to Correction, he doesn't accept it, nor does he seek it. Take a look now at Proverbs 15, verse 12. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. Now, nobody likes to be corrected. It hurts. It wounds. Nobody likes it. The scoffer, however, really resents it. He hates challenges to his authority. And so, again, be... Neath a hard and confident exterior is insecurity, namely the fear of being wrong. In fact, it's such an intense fear that it keeps the scoffer from consulting the wise. And that's a big problem. Now, scoffers have put themselves in a very precarious position with God. Uh, Here's an example of what I mean. Proverbs 19, verse 29 Proverbs 19, verse 29. It says, judgments are prepared for scoffers and blows for the back of fools. 
God has prepared judgment for the scoffer. Condemnation is prepared and waiting for him. God has, in effect, made an appointment for the scoffer uh, that he cannot miss, at which time he will meet up with judgment due to his haughtiness, arrogance, pride, and scornfulness. This is why our response to folks in that category must be to pray for them, yearn with every ounce of our being for their salvation so that they could avoid having this appointment with God, during which time they will be judged. How could we, forgiven ones, not be forgiving ones? Folks, don't go angry in this day. Be careful. Anger clouds thinking. The evidence of it is the number of so-called evangelical Christians who are on the verge of making a choice that I think will lead to disaster. Anger in Nazi Germany led to the Third Reich. I'm comparing none of the candidates to Adolf Hitler, not at all. I'm just comparing our voting constituency to the population of Nazi Germany. They became uh, angry, frustrated, wanting greatness again as they imagined it. The country they grew up with that they felt was being threatened and taken from them in a very extreme marginalized character with all kinds of effective uh, oratory, made claims of greatness with, which had its appeal to non-thinking, angry Germans leading to Hitler coming to power. Uh, I'm not pointing the finger at Germans. I'm like the rest of humanity. I do not want my anger and frustration to muddy my thinking I want to stay calm and composed. I want to be ready to, to be a forgiving one as I've been forgiven. I don't want to compromise convictions and be wishy-washy, but I don't think it's my job to go after scorners, mockers, and scoffers. I think it's my job to pray with every ounce of my being and so live the Christian life that it would attract ones like that to let go of their haughtiness and arrogance, humble themselves before Almighty God, receive his salvation, be adopted into his family, and become a worshiper rather than a scoffer. This is our job. Don't go angry. An angry evangelical constituency is winning no one to Christ and, in the end, I think, will lose the battle for this country. It's not won by anger and disdain. It's won by the gospel message changing lives, just as your life and my life has been changed. Not by virtue, ethics, or clear thinking, but our lives have been changed by the Savior. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's no longer a scoffer. He's new. He's a praiser and worshiper of the one he one time scoffed. Folks, we can win the battle, maybe, for who wins the primary and lose the Great Commission War in our angry attitude. In fact, we can become just as haughty as scoffers, even evangelical Christians. There won't be a thing attractive about us, it seems, it seems to me. Now, folks, 
The scoffer, again, is no ordinary unbeliever. He's arrogantly opposed to those who hold beliefs differing from his own. In fact, this is how he is defined. Proverbs 21, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24. This is a simple biblical definition of the scoffer. Proud, haughty scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. The Hebrew uh, literally says, proud, arrogant scoffer is his name. That's the biblical definition of the scoffer. And this kind of person can ultimately do such harm to society that his removal really is better for society. Look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 10 in this regard. Proverbs 22, verse 10. Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Folks, scoffers do not know how to live in harmony with people who do not agree with them. They don't know how to do it. Therefore, this kind of person can be the cause of much disharmony, discord, and upheaval in society. But the trouble will cease when the troublemaker is removed from positions of power. Social harmony and accord cannot exist with such a person at the helm because such a person stirs up strife. But this is interesting. Though the scoffer is proud and haughty and arrogant and insulting and demeaning and divisive, he may still attract followers for a while. Look at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 9. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 9. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. May not start out that way, but ultimately will become this way. Scoffers may impress people initially, but eventually they're seen clearly for who they are, and they eventually destroy harmony, uh, relationships, and thus lose credibility with the people who initially rallied behind them as if they're the, the Messiah. Interesting. Not only do they not reflect the character of the Messiah, Jesus, they more nearly reflect the character of the anti-Jesus, Satan, who is haughty and arrogant and beyond teaching and correction. Eventually, oftentimes too late, this person is seen to be who he is. Scoffers incite and stir up sometimes the unrestrained passions of people. And so it says in Proverbs 29, verse 8, Scorners set a city aflame, but wise men turn away anger. Scoffers incite. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We'll show them. We'll make them pay for it. They incite. But wise people calm things down. 
Scoffers stir up the passions of people and can produce social unrest and even violence. We've seen this historically. But wise men are those who calm things down and restore order. The scoffer kindles fires, you see, but a wise person seeks to put them out. Folks, uh, there can be no happy ending with one such as this in a position of power. There can be no happy ending. <clears throat> now, there have been scoffers in every age. Our age is not new. In fact, they caused trouble in New Testament times, just as today. There were scoffers in the time of Peter, the apostle. In fact, he had some stuff to say about him in 2 Peter chapter 3. That's where I like to call your attention as we draw to a close. 2 Peter chapter 3, just a brief look at some of Peter's observations about this kind of person, the scoffer. 2 Peter 3, verse 3, he says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. That's why I say, if you haven't been mocked for your faith yet, you probably will. In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And that's the reason why they mock uh, those who represent a Christian point of view, because they don't want restraint on their sinful choices. And those who represent the righteousness of a holy God are um, upsetting to those who don't want to be fenced in who just want to do what they, what they want to do. They don't want to be reminded of sin. In fact, they, it says this in verse 4, and saying, this is what mockers in the last days, in essence, not literally, but in, in their heart will say, where is the promise of his coming? God's coming. The Lord Jesus come, coming again. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You Christians are talking about getting ready through salvation for the Savior to come again. What are you talking about? Life goes on day after day. God's not coming again. He's not going to intervene. In other words, they're saying there is no judgment. They dismiss, scoff at, they demean uh, judgment day at the second coming of Jesus Christ. God has never intervened as you people claim, they say. Things have always been as they always have been. Why sh I should I believe I'll ever have to be accountable to Almighty God? But the scoffers are missing something indicated in verses 5 and 6. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. This is what they're missing. That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So they missed two things. One, God already intervened in history when he created the world. Furthermore, he intervened again, again in history when he flooded the world. So for those who say everything's going on, God just somewhere, he's a fictitious figment of your imagination. He's not, what are you talking about? God already intervened in the space-time dimension that contains us. He already intervened in human history, number one, by creating the world, number two, by flooding the world. And the point is, Peter's making, he will intervene one day in judgment again. Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment 
and destruction of ungodly men. No, things are not going to continue to go on the way they are. A world in rebellion against God has a shelf life. All it takes from Almighty God is one word to put it all in check, and here's the word, enough, enough. But that can't be our word. It can never be our word. Enough, I'm done. No. We always, always with hope and vigor and intentionality and focus must be Great Commission people because the world is still full of people needing to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our great commission. It's up to God to say enough. It's not up to us to do that kind of thing. Now, verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so now we find out that the mocker uh, casting aspersions on God's character, he hasn't come, everything is going the way it is. Oh, no, it's not the slowness of God that has kept him from returning in judgment. It's the mercy of God that others might be saved. And here's the irony of it all. The very one scoffing God for his inactivity in holding him accountable is inactive for a spell so that very scoffer could have a chance to hear the gospel message and be saved. This is the amazing grace of Almighty God by which you and I have been saved. This is what God wants, that none should perish, no scoffer, but that all should be saved. This is what he wants for people whom he has created and died for. And this, above all, is what he wants for us. Folks, we must not be compromised. We must not feel the permission to be contemptuous, cynical, pessimistic, angry, shut down, and isolationist. We must be filled with the joy of salvation the hopeful expectation of his return in due season. And until then, about the work of seeking to save the lost. That's the main thing for us. Folks, not only should our agenda be the salvation of lost scoffers, it should be the kind of holy lifestyle that so please God and so attract unholy people that they want to know of this holy God. So in closing, verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? (gasps) I liked it when the scoffer was the problem. But now the Father is saying it's about you. If you believe all these things, what? sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness. In other words, the expectation of our Lord's return ought to inspire us to a separated, distinctively holy life. We don't have to be odd, but we ought to be different, not compromised. Folks, we have something to live for. The old Corrupt world will be destroyed. The new will take its place. 
the Lord Jesus, you believe this, so do I, is coming again. Therefore, our agenda must be to live in a way that is consistent with our faith and hope in the Holy Lord who saved us coming again. And our agenda must be to tell all people that he wishes to save them as well. That's our mission. We don't have the luxury of anger and contempt. God has not given us the freedom to go that way. It's not permissible for us. No. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, what a gifted performer. Gifted actor. And he was recognized once again uh, for his theatrical skills at the recent Academy Awards celebration where he received an uh, Oscar. And then he used most of his time during his acceptance speech to make a plea to fight uh, the consequences of climate change. Apparently, this is a very important matter to Leonardo DiCaprio. And I suppose there's something to it. But I doubt fighting climate change is the most important priority and matter for those of us who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What then should be the most important matter for us? It's the matter of sin and salvation. That's the big issue for us. Great changes come about in the life of the sinner who becomes saved. Every Christian here could charge up here and spontaneously give evidence of it. I remember after having been rescued by the blood of the Lamb, I ceased using his name in vain. I stopped scoffing. I ceased demeaning the very word that he gave us, the Bible, and I started to respectfully read it and try to live by it. I ceased seeing him to be optional and instead saw him to be essential so that I would pray to him, petition him for help in navigating the turbulent waves of life. Once I got saved, I had an entirely different attitude of that which I thought I owned, and I realized, no, I only have been granted stewardship of it. And God had principles by which I could exercise wise stewardship of time and talents and money. These are all changes. I remember subsequent to being saved, finding out what God thought about sexuality and the context in which human sexuality is to be manifested. I, I, I saw a whole different approach to things like marriage and child rearing. I found out about words and a loose tongue and the damage it could do. I found out about what my real nature was, not much virtue, 
not much to boast about at all, a, a uh, fierce inclination to do evil and sin. And I found out that he added his presence in my life to neutralize it and give me an option not to sin to the extent I once did. I found out about time and that this period of time is time limited and it is going to give way to something called eternity. And that just changed my whole order of priorities entirely. None of this happened because I was better than the uh, most virulent scoffer and mocker. None of this happened because I read a self-help book or attended a support group. None of this happened because I made a New Year's resolution and made amends. All of this happened because I was saved from sin. Now, if that's the ingredient that made the most significant climactic difference in our lives, why would we want to be distracted from that message and get embroiled in a very distasteful political process in which pretenders to the throne make promises of salvation only the true Savior can fulfill. I didn't say divorce oneself from voting and citizenry and all the rest. I just said, my goodness, the ones entrusted with the only message that could change anybody are being so compromised now that we're not voting values. <laughs> we're ready to vote for the one who expresses in an unbridled way our contempt and unrestrained anger and frustration. And we're ready to compromise on values and thus our message will be compromised. Folks, we're on the verge of giving up. <gasps> when the Savior says, what? Get busy. Not give up, not slow down. He entrusted to earthen vessels like us the message of hope that can change humankind one at a time. Democrats, Republicans, independents. <laughs> Those are not the issues of the day. We are citizens of heaven. Folks, I'm preaching to no one. I've been one who's felt the permission, you know, let's just give up. Let them just go to, I don't mean to be harsh, but let them go to hell. Let them just go. I'm saved. <gasps> what? What? Someone prayed for me. Someone befriended me and in the context shared the gospel with me. God's spirit convicted me of sin. His judgment. How to be right with him through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it changed me entirely. I don't support abortion. I don't support gay marriage. I don't support uncontrolled government indebtedness. <laughs> I don't support all of these things. Why? Because I've been given the mind of Christ. How do you get it? Except by being introduced to him. <laughs> 
How? By one such as us. How will they believe if they don't hear? How will they hear if someone doesn't tell them? But I think they're not hearing the gospel message because we're shouting out to them about collateral matters <laughs> that don't matter. The one issue matters that matters is this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know what our job is? To do everything we could to see people saved from the wrath of God as we have been saved. So, Lord Jesus, in our hearts, a casual but firm recommitment to the Great Commission. That's what distinguishes the church from every other organization. It is our distinctive. We are ambassadors, not for a political party or a candidate. We are ambassadors for Christ Jesus, entrusted with the gospel through which is it, it is as if God in us is beseeching people be reconciled to God. Set us on fire, O oh God, with a burning passion to be gospel sharers, soul winners, a holy people attractive to those who are still living in darkness. And oh God, would you so inspire and revive the church that the message of the church carries the day, the message of reconciliation with holy God through the inexpressible a sacrifice of the sinless one, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.